Welcome to another edition of the Hotel Analyst podcast. Uh, you'll find me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, with Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, as we chew over three topic areas, things have caught our eye from the last week or two, uh, and we're taking a look first at uh, the service department sector, where it seems to be the case that although there are plenty of big brands striking out and building out their uh, their portfolios and their subsidiary brands, there's still it's still a case that uh, this is a market where it's quite easy to get in as a small entrant and uh, plenty of uh, some tech-oriented and some more kind of regular service department brands are popping up the front and centre and appearing in the market. Um, while the big brands are looking for kind of gateway cities and a presence across uh, Europe and further afield, the smaller guys can pick off uh, smaller urban centres and still make a good trade. Uh, of course further afield outside of Europe we've got uh, the Ascot uh, part of Singaporean group Capital Land who are striking it big they recently uh, did a takeover deal of Oakwood and they now have uh, more than 150,000 units in 900 properties around the world they're looking to push on uh, faster as well and they're looking to grow with a more on a more asset like basis so it's an interesting area that still seems to have plenty of uh, room to play for all of the players and the performance of uh, the, the sector is still very very strong they had a relatively good pandemic and have, have pulled out nicely again after that um, and regular surveys by the big agents point to plenty of space uh, despite uh, quite reasonable levels of annual supply growth in some key city markets yes so i took a look at ascot um because in europe we can um think oh this is a new new thing the whole idea of service departments and indeed for in within the european context it is new in in terms of having in institutional grade um, investment opportunities in the segment but in asia they have been investing in service departments for decades um and you you mentioned they're the biggest player ascot um now i took a look at the the REIT of that now it's one of these stapled REITs so they have an opco which has the bigger number of rooms which you talked about chris mm -hmm. um and then it's got the, the the REIT bit which actually has the owned um portion um for a small subset of the um of the units that are operated by the the wider sort of opco ascot so this is um it's been renamed capital land ascot trust to fit in with the uh, parent groups capital lands other uh, reits that are out there but it's it's the biggest lodging reit in asia pacific um but for a long while it's been much more than just hotels it's got 95 properties in total um, with more than 17,000 units but uh, among these there are serviced residences which are the service departments and there's 54 properties like that there's hotels there's 18 of those but there's also rental housing um, which is 14 and they've made a big investment in Japan in that and the student accommodation of which they've got nine properties so they've got they've had this they've been investing you know across these blurred lines of buildings in beds for quite a while so this is not a new thing there um, and we've got this giant institutional investor which is doing that um, and has been doing that for some time in the Asian market now the question I pose is how you know are we going to see the emergence of a 
uh, as it were a pan um, lodging um, REIT or similar sort of investor in Europe um, we've got some which are sort of on the cusp of that so mm. somebody like Pandox I suppose which um, isn't a REIT but it's a listed entity um, they are looking at um, certainly hostels and other things and I know they're, 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 they have considered a, a range of other investments in these uh, sort of parallel sectors um, we've got actual REITs so I mean a, an example of that might be LXI REIT the listed um, um, player that uh, has uh, sort of seventeen percent of its ho of its portfolio are hotels and twenty eight percent is uh, leisure um, venues. Um, so you, you've you've got entities like that. Um, you've also got Covivio, the uh, French REIT, the Seek, um, which, which is office has been investing um, across different types of lodging, including hostels. We featured their uh, JV arrangement they have with uh, uh, Meininger at one of our early hotel alternatives events. So we've 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 got all of this, but we don't really have it in the same way as the um, um, the Capital Land Ascot Trust. Um, and you know, I think we will at mm -hmm. some point in the near future i'm not saying we have any any insight as to specifically what that's going to be but there's a number of things out there i think which are due for a listing due to be you know um some sort of corporate activity so um obviously there was there was gravis capital a long time player in the student market and delisted their student accommodation REIT, um and they were going to be launching a co-living REIT, which would have been the first in the in the market um, but that was postponed in the way of the uh, Ukraine invasion um, and you've also got um, Social Hub the rebranded student hotel now its latest fundraising its its backers are um, APG and uh, GIC um, and its latest fundraising put its valuation at 2.1 billion euros now this is big enough to have a listing and I think we're going to have a dedicated hybrid hospitality player coming to the market at some point in the near future now quite who and what it's going to be remains to be seen it could be that it's going to be a new listing say say something like the social hub comes to market or maybe it will be a case of existing player like pandox branching out um, into some of the other subsectors but um, i think this is definitely a case of um, blurring boundaries going on one of the sets of results that came out recently uh, was from uh, UK listed Whitbread, uh, who are almost exclusively now the uh, Premier Inn and Hub operators, um, obviously very large in the UK and growing in Germany. Uh, you can read all the numbers, but they had a stonking uh, quarter. Um, but uh, some interesting numbers that, that I spotted, well, they've upped their uh, their goal for the size of expansion in the UK. They reckon they have now can, can make it to 125,000 rooms in the UK, which would, uh, if they get there, would take them to 17% of the market as currently sized. Um, they reckon there's been a 10% decline in unbranded hotels in the UK in the last two years, which they see as a great opportunity. Uh, they're growing hard in Germany, and they said that uh, their mature hotels in Germany were were operating uh, back in profit uh, already this year. Uh, and yeah, the other interesting 
uh, stat or number is uh, 3.5%, uh, which is the size of the stake that L&R Hotels has bought <laughs> recently in Whitbread. And um, one wonders whether they might become a little bit of an active shareholder in due course. But um, by and large, a great performance from from Whitbread in the last quarter, uh, UK doing exceedingly well and uh, Germany doing very well too. Uh, they've recently given all their staff in the UK a, a substantial pay rise. Uh, they're, they reckon they're, they're, gonna, they're fine to invest and despite all the, the headwinds that many people are worrying about, um, they see the market as having plenty of upside for them in both of their markets. Yeah, very strong set of results. Um, but the thing I wanted to focus on was uh, halfway through their presentation, they had a 43-page uh, PDF um, to accompany their results. And halfway through, number 24, if anybody wants to download it on the Investor Relations website. Um, now, what was interesting about this slide was it showed the accelerated decline in independent supply over the last two years. So between 2019 and 2022, Whitbread says supply fell 10% in in the independent area um, to 309,000 rooms in the UK. Um, this compares to the 12% decline between 2010 to 2019, um, which saw independent uh, hotel supply fall from 389,000 rooms to 344,000 rooms. So I think this is really underappreciated what's going on here because we tend to focus on inevitably the the investable bit of this market we don't look at the, what the americans call the mum and pops the owner operated smaller properties but it's important to take account of what's going on here because this because when you look at just the institutional bit you think oh my goodness you're about to have a real problem with oversupply but au contraire according to Whitbread um, you know we're not going to get um, room supply in the UK back to 2019 levels um, until 2026 so I mean this actually suggests you know, there's a great deal of opportunity ahead in this segment in in hotels more broadly and in particular in the economy hotel segment which of course is the bit that uh, Premier Inn is stepping in to replace and mop up that as the mom and pops exit it is you know their customer customers that used to stay at mom and pops are likely to head to uh, Premier Inn or indeed the other uh, uh, budget brands such as Travel Lodge and Express and all the others Ibis which are in the market so this is I think good news from from that point of view and some of the um shall we say the uh more skeptical analyst comments about whipbread i think fails to accommodate just how much room there is in the marketplace for whipbread to keep growing um even in what looks like a saturated market in the uk i think there is there's undoubtedly a better cannibalization going on but i think there is room and i think this is good news um because what it is bringing into the UK hotel market is higher quality operators and quality brands um, so we've talked about you know 
the the good news from the supply situation more controversially i think this is actually good news because we are inst introducing um institutional grade uh, quality operators um who um uh, simply offer better jobs um and careers than the mom and pops do um and this is going to help I would argue transform the perception of the hospitality market in the UK it's too long has it been in the hands of um, um, small players it's been a fragmented market we desperately need consolidation and what we're clearly seeing now is a real acceleration of that that consolidation now you know i don't want to sort of sound cold and heartless this is terrible that we're seeing so many people um who are losing their livelihoods their businesses and in some cases their homes and it's it, it's desperately difficult for those people but i don't think the answer is somehow for the government to step in and support what is a fundamentally robust and growing sector what the government uh, needs to do is to help support those people who are exiting um, the market uh, provide retraining um, and help for them and rehoming in some cases but keep out of the way of the success of um, the branded budget players now we're going to take a look at what's going on in the resort marketplace um, based I think on Andrew's recent visit to uh, a key conference in the sector yeah partly that I mean I actually headlined it with um, the acquisition of Baglioni Hotels and Resorts by Mexico's Palace Resorts. Mm. Um, well, um, Palace bought 75% of uh, Baglioni's uh, parent company. Ooh, I was going to get my pronunciation now. Cogetta? Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness knows. Yeah, could, <laughs> um, yeah, could be. Could be, could be, yeah, yeah. Um, but um but uh, the price wasn't disclosed I mean both private um, um, institutions but but I mean I think what this signifies is a, a number of things one is the um, you know ongoing appetite for the resort market I think is super strong at the moment um, and the second thing is that resorts are more than just a beachfront property so palace is known for its beachfront all-inclusive properties it's got 10 dotted around uh, north america um, and the caribbean um, but it's clearly seeing an opportunity to get into city center type resort properties of which baglioni is a is a great example now 70 percent of baglioni's business comes from americans coming to to europe um, and clearly most of those are on vacation um holidays we might call them um but they're coming here um and and what um, into Europe um, and Palace says well look we can even drive this harder and faster we've got 70 over 75,000 people um, in our loyalty scheme and their top two uh, dream destinations apparently are the Maldives and Italy for that those members of the loyalty scheme so they're obviously hoping that this um, acquisition um, will enable them to drive business in there they will also take um, some of Palace's brands to uh, Europe and indeed Baglioni is going to be heading to North America too so I think um, it's interesting there um, 
and this came off the back of uh, me going to the resort and residential hospitality forum which was held last month in portugal uh, and it brought together and it brings together i mean in a way our first item in this podcast links in with this too in terms of the service department piece and in that residential piece but really i i think the the resort development and when resort people talk about uh, residential they're often talking about second homers they're talking about timeshare fractional all that kind of stuff but this is broadening out and the combination of city resorts coming together now um with the residential piece coming together with uh, um, the community piece it was an interesting they had ando living speaking there who have a club-like concept where they're getting the locals into the club and that makes a better environment for the the tourists staying at their uh, uh service department um, concept um, they've got one in Lisbon and one in Istanbul and they're looking at uh, Berlin and Paris at the moment um, so we're seeing that uh, that 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 development and this this switch now um, on top of that of course we've got the the news from Marriott which is launching private rentals in North America they're calling it apartments by Marriott Bonvoy um, again very clearly referencing the uh, loyalty scheme there just as Palace is focusing on its loyalty scheme to drive uh, Baglioni demand further demand into Baglioni's uh, properties clearly this is what Marriott's going to be using this and the distinction here it's not uh, just sort of executive apartments which Marriott have long been doing um, but these are standalone uh, rental properties which don't have any hotel like uh, services so it's, it's very much into the apartment brand thing um, so I should have said Marriott's residence in so they've had Marriott executive apartments which are non-hotel service um, uh, offers um, and they've been outside of North America in uh, in Europe um, and beyond um, Latin America the Middle East Asia um, but now we're seeing that sort of thing going into North America too. And what I suspect we're gonna see is an acceleration of interest in these um, executive apartment type offers um, from within Marriott. Um, thanks to of course this uh, it's it, it's domestic market now being a a key part of the operation as well so i think that's going to be a, a a step change in terms of a marriott's engagement with um these pieces beyond um, the traditional hotel sector um in addition to this we've we've got ongoing brand launches um beginning of the month um we saw Wyndham launches echo suites finally name <laughs> its ex, um, economy extended stay concept echo suites extended stay by Wyndham and it's uh, Wyndham's 24th brand um and it's coming you know hitting the round hitting the ground running with 120 hotels in its pipeline at launch so it clearly shows just what demand there is out there for this um the um this this blurring of hotels and uh, other buildings with beds um which are out there um but also as a start this resort 
article um it's the blurring of what is leisure and what is business um so we've got blurring there um i'd use that dreadful term pleasure i guess but there's lots of similar terms around it but i think it's uh, really interesting and established resource investors are benefiting from the broadening of these definitions the the blurring of the lines between all different sorts of uh, buildings with beds and the blurring of the demand lines between leisure and business and the growth of the nomad um, digital nomad call them what you will this new sort of target group target markets which are uh, coming into existence so i think it's a very exciting time um, for resorts but a, more broadly an exciting time to be involved in uh, uh, businesses which uh, do short and long stays in beds now we're going to turn to our no star and five star awards and uh, this week andrew i think you're pinning both uh, at, uh, at one at one at each end of this particular donkey, uh, which is the whole business of uh, uh, the UK authorities who've got themselves into a right muddle with what to do with uh, all the migrants that are turning up uh, uh, into on the on the on the coastline and into the country. Um, the uh, more and more uh, UK hotels, it seems, are being hired by agents of the UK government to house asylum seekers. So off you go. Five stars is on the one hand. <laughs> no stars on the other yeah well the five stars is the extra i mean you put the number 1.8 billion pounds um it's worth in terms of what the government is um booking in terms of accommodation so you've you've got that extra income coming in and of course you've also got the supply going out for existing hoteliers so i think that is a good good news five star piece i think the bad news piece is you know what it might potentially do to the reputation of hotel operators that decide to dive into that i think it's spectacularly problematic if hoteliers try to run a sort of migrant hostel alongside an existing hotel um, it is no surprise to me to find that uh, one of our most notorious operators <laughs> britannia hotels is very keen on this particular segment so i think there's potential worry um, around this um, and a final no stars mm -hmm. i'm just going to throw this one in chris which regular listeners will have noticed we've been um, slightly more delayed with our offerings um, at the moment ah. with our podcast and this is down to the delightful virgin media um who've kept me on and offline for the last three weeks and i've been caught in this kind of one of these intermittent faults um it's like a quagmire you just descend into it which nobody can actually satisfactorily resolve and uh, so far so good we've actually managed to record yeah, this one no i think Chris, without yeah. any hiccups but uh, who knows because we don't uh, i haven't <laughs> really had any you know i've had about i think i'm on my third um um modem thingy bob um in in as many weeks um but um apart from swapping those in and out um i can't believe there's been that many hardware failures but anyway um that, that's um why we've been offline for slightly longer than well, we intended should be going and staying in a virgin hotel test their wi-fi uh, <laughs> long as there's no <laughs> migrants there, I guess. <laughs> Spending yeah, all their right. time on Netflix, yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds really nice. We'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>